say amen to that song. Jesus is all the world to me, and I hope he is to all of you. We're so thankful for your presence this morning, especially those that are visiting with us. We're always encouraged by you, and thank you for coming and being with us, taking time out of your busy schedules to be with us here this morning. We hope that we can invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. Uh, we'll be having a fellowship dinner right after services this morning, so all those that are visiting with us, and of course the members alike, are encouraged to stay and enjoy a good meal with us, and we, we've asked everybody to make just a little extra for our visitors as well, and so we hope that you'll come and stay and be with us for that. In John chapter 15, we need to think about the fact that Jesus Christ is our faithful friend. There are really two forces that are buying for our relationship in this life. On the one hand, you have the Word who is identified by John as being Jesus the Christ who came in flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. On the other hand, you have the world and the system of the world and all of its craziness, I guess you would say, that is in this world and is governed by Satan. But the Word or Jesus could be viewed as an ally. But the world, on the other hand, could be viewed as our adversary. And so on the one hand, you have Jesus who wants to be our friend. And then we have the world who ought to be viewed as a foe. Here in John chapter 15, we begin to think about Jesus the Christ as our faithful friend. And we begin by noting together the relationship that we enjoy with the Word. And the Word, of course, is Jesus. In John 1 verse 14, John the Apostle identifies the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Savior. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. There are some things that we notice as we think about the Word, who is our friend. And there are some reasons of why He is our friend. And there are some reasons why we ought to want to be His friend as well. Why we would want to have a relationship with Him. Well, I can't think of a better relationship to have with anybody but with Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. But it's a costly relationship. A costly relationship. The reason it is costly is because Jesus invested in each of us. He made an investment in all of us. Now, we might ask the question, well, how did Jesus invest in me? Well, he invested in us by going to the cross and dying for our sins on that cross. Now, please notice that the Bible speaks of his voluntary death for all of us. Jesus himself talked about his willingness to go to the cross. Look, if you will, to verse 12 of John 15 and notice Jesus said, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus voluntarily 
went to the cross for us. Back in chapter 10 of John, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross as an investment for all of us. Now granted, he did so in view of the Father's will. Now Jesus would say in John 6 and 38, he says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus came and voluntarily gave his life for us. But then there's a second thing that we notice here, and that is his vicarious death for us. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. In other words, he became our substitute. Jesus went to the cross, took our place on the cross for us. Now, that's, that's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 and following when he says of how Christ has left us an example that we f- should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body, on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus bore my sins on Calvary. When Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he talked about how Christ loved him. He said, Christ, the the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's personal, isn't it? It's a very personal thing. And so we talked about the voluntary death of Jesus, his vicarious death, but then notice his vicious death, if you will. Go back and you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John accounts of Jesus and reacquaint yourself with the suffering of Jesus. And when you begin to look at what Jesus experienced on Calvary for us, Paul said, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever thought about all that was involved in his death for us? Matthew, for example, Matthew 27 and verses 27 and following, he talks about how during that trial that they they ridiculed him. They mocked him. They taunted him. They slapped him in the face. They would say, prophesy, who is it that hit you? You know, after they slapped him. Matthew tells us that they spat on him as well. And then John tells us in John 19, verses 1 and following, that they scourged him and they led him to Golgotha where they crucified him. The pain that Jesus experienced had to be unimaginable. The Romans got the idea from the Medes and the Persians of crucifixion. And they perfected the art of crucifixion. The whole intent of crucifixion was to make man suffer. 
and to put fear in those that were watching, not to let your life get so far out of line that you'll end up there on that, cru that cross. Stay out of trouble, in other words. And so when we talk about our relationship to the Word, we need to first of all see that it's a costly relationship, but then secondly, it's a conditional relationship. There are conditions. Did you know that our relationship to the Lord is predicated on our, or conditioned on our willingness, on our part to do His will? Have you thought about that? Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 14. Go down to verse 14. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Now I want you to, I want you to take that verse and, and turn it around, okay? If we do what he commands us to do, we are his friends. Now think about it on the other hand. If we're not doing what he has commanded us to do, we're not counted as his friends. That's pretty simple enough to, to understand. One of the commands that Jesus gave us is in verse 12. Notice, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Down in verse 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. That's just one of the many commands that the Lord would have us to execute in our lives. People talk about how much they love the Lord, they, they, how much they love Jesus. And, and you can ask the question, Jesus would ask the question, well, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 6, 46. Who are you to call him your friend, your brother, and you're not doing his will? We demonstrate our love for the Lord by obeying His will, by honoring His will. Whatever Jesus says do, we are to do that. We will want to do that. We want to be the salt of the earth and we, the light of the world. We want to live in such a way so that it brings Christ and bring others to Christ as well, Christ the glory. We want to bear fruit in our Christian lives. But look at verse 8. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And so Jesus has invested in each one of us greatly. He wants a relationship with us, but it's a costly relationship. It's a conditional relationship. But then in the first place, it's a close relationship. When we talk about a close relationship with the Lord, I want you to notice with me verse 15, the closeness that we have with the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus here is talking about talking to the apostles, and he's identified them as his friends. Now, all of us have the privilege. We all have the right to be a friend of Jesus. And the Lord wants us to be his friend. He wants to be a friend to each one of us as well. And so the question is, what are the benefits of being a friend to Jesus? Well, Solomon talked about how there's a friend that sticketh 
closer than their brother, right? Proverbs 18, 24. That says something about a friend, doesn't it? And I know that many of you have close-knit relationship to friends. It, it may be even a family member or maybe a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor. Uh, and we identify them as friends. And we're grateful to have them as our friends. It's what Jesus is saying here is, look, I'm calling you my friend. Okay? What are the advantages of having Jesus as your friend? First of all, as a friend, Jesus will strengthen you. How, how tough is it to live here on this planet Earth? Pretty tough, isn't it? It's not easy. Look at all the things that the world has going on. I mean, we talk about human suffering and trials and tribulations, temptations, right? It's rampant. Tears, wars, conflicts, and everything going on in the world around us. It's not easy. Sometimes we become discouraged, don't we? Sometimes we feel like we're helpless and weak, that we're all alone. And yet Jesus has the ability to strengthen us, if you will, to help us make it day by day. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. To know that I have the ability to make it every day. I can get up out of bed every day and I can know for a fact that the Lord will strengthen me for that day. And that I'll be able to go home that night and be able to lay down my head once again on that pillow to say, it was a wonderful day. The Lord was with me. And then to pray that he'll watch you through the night to allow you to have another beautiful day. To be his as he is your friend as well. The strength that I get from reading and studying the scriptures throughout the day, from looking at the life of Christ and the apostles and the other great men and women that we can read about and refer to and spoken of in scripture. But not only will Jesus strengthen us, not only does he provide strength on a daily basis, but I believe that Jesus will support us or sustain us passage of scripture that I think is very encouraging for us is in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 casting all your care upon him why for he careth for you I put the why in there okay casting all your care upon him for he careth for you what is it that Jesus said to the apostles? Remember that Jesus is about to go to the cross in John chapters 13 and 14. He begins talking about how he's going to be leaving them. And they're concerned. They're concerned. They're distraught. We can't believe that he's going to be leaving us. And so it's in this context that Jesus talks about his friendship with them. And the fact that he would sustain them and support them. And so in chapter 15, verse 15, he says, Henceforth, I call ye not servants, for the servant knoweth what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. You're not my servants, you're my friends. A friend will stand beside you. A friend will support you. A friend will sustain you. And I think the Lord was willing to stand beside them, to support them, to sustain them. No matter what problems, no matter what trials, tribulations, or heartaches that they would have experienced in life. But then I ask the question to you. What trials, what problems, what tribulations, what heartaches are you experiencing in life? And the cause, the burden was so great that you turned to a friend and you said, 
I just need to talk to you for just a little bit, if that's okay. Would you be willing to sit down with me for just a moment? I need some counsel. I need some encouragement. I need some edification as a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Can you help me? The writer said in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, he said, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That tells me that the Lord is going to be supported by me. That I can go to God the Father through Jesus Christ to get the help that I need through my prayers. That tells me that the Lord will be supportive of me, that he will sustain me, as well as Jesus is strengthening and supporting us. But then in the third place, notice with me, he will stand beside us. That's right. How, how do I know that the Lord will stand with me? Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13, 5, saying, speaking on the behalf of the Lord, I want you to notice, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that wonderful to know that? I mean, that is just wonderful to know that the Lord is going to be with us at our times of need. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6 and following, and Paul, of course, was about to face death. Nero was about to, to have him beheaded. And so he talked about how the, the time of his departure was at hand. It was nearby. And in that context, he talks about how some of the people that had abused him, there was a man by the name of Alexander. He was a coppersmith. He spoke of Demas that had forsaken him. And so in verse 16, he said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid at their charge. Now, in light of the fact that all men forsook him, he said in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul is saying, In the hour of my need... When I needed people the most, what did they do? Well, they forsook me. There was no one to stand with me. Here I'm supposed to have some allies, people to stand with me in the hour of trial, but they didn't do it. But he said, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord was right there. And if the Lord can make the promise that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, you can count on his promise. He'll keep it. Jesus wants to be your friend. But not only did he say the Lord stood with me, but he said that the Lord strengthened. Again, we go back to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be your faithful friend. I can say this with all confidence, that you will never have a friend much like Jesus. You'll never will. You'll never have anyone that will stick with you through thick and thin, come what may. The Lord will be with you every step of the way, all the way to the end. I believe the Lord will be with us in life and death. Do you remember what David said in Psalm 23 and verse 4? He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy strength, thy sword comforted me, right? I will fear no evil. 
We talk of the, having a friend stand beside us when we come to the hour of our departure. Sometimes our, our friends and family members will line our bedside as we depart from this old world. But there will be somebody that will see you into the next world. And that's the Lord. And so first, our relationship with the Word. But secondly, we talk about our relationship with the world Bible tells us that the Word is Jesus. He's our friend. But the world, on the other hand, ought to be viewed as a foe. Jesus is our ally. The world is our adversary. Now, as we think about the world and our relationship to the world, there are Christians, those of us who belong to the family of God, we are victorious over the world. Drop down to what Jesus said in verse 19 of John 15. Verse 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. As members of the Lord's church, we are the called out. We are the community of the saved. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 9. That we are the ecclesia, the community of the saved, the church, the church of the living God, if you will. And so as members of the body of Christ, as members of the church, we can't afford to have a relationship with the world by any means. We are in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We don't have to allow the world to, to pour us into its mold. I listened again to what Jesus said. If he were of the world, the world would love his own, verse 19. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth us. Do you see the difference there? How different we are to be? A, a moment ago, I, I said that there are two forces that are buying for our relationship with us. One, on the one hand, you have the Lord. That's the word. On the other hand, you have the world, the system of the world. And the world can be defined as that cosmos of iniquity, that sphere that is dominated and dictated by the devil, as we were talking about in our class this morning. But the Bible talks about the devil being the God of this age, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And so... As a child of God, I live in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm not like the world. But the world wants to mold me into its shape. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so the world is literally trying to make me one of its own. That's the war that rages on. That's the conflict that we face in this life. And so I think as, as a child of God that the world is trying to dictate how I talk, my speech. And that, it's trying to dictate what I do, what I, where I go. The world's trying to captivate my mind. And that's really where the battle rages, isn't it? In the mind. So over and over again, the appeal in Scripture, don't love the world, don't be a friend of the world. James said in James 4 and verse 4, ye adulteresses and adulteresses, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Those of who align themselves with the world has put themselves at variance with God. Why? Because the world is anti-God. Now here's the second thing as we talk about how as Christians we are victorious of the world and the, and the means by which we are victorious of, a, uh, of the world of course is by our faith. Okay? Uh, we talked about that last week, didn't we? But that's what John said in 1 John 5, 4. He said, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And that is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's why greater the faith, greater our strength. The more faith that we, the, the, the more faith, the more better. That wasn't right. The more faith, the better we are to defend ourselves against the world and the forces of the world. We notice that we are victorious of the world, but Christians are also vilified by the world. Here's what Jesus had to say about the world and his relationship with the world. He says, in effect, that the world stood against me. The world stood against the Savior. Listen to him in verse 18. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord? If ye have persecuted, persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And then in verse 25, and here he quotes the psalmist. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Just think about the ill treatment that Jesus received at the hands of the world. Jesus said, they hated me. They persecuted me, he says. And so we talk about the world standing against the saved. And I think about what the Lord is saying here. Just as they stood against me, they will stand against you, he says. The world stands against the saints. Look again at verse 20. Remember the word that I sent unto you that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. In verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's saying here, look, the world's not your friend. Why are you treating the world like it's your friend? It's not your friend. Quit treating the world like it's your friend. Now, because you choose to be my friend, because you choose to align yourself with the way I think, the way I do, you better expect to suffer, Jesus says. You better expect to be persecuted. Here's just a couple of things that are under persecution right now. First is the church. You know, you go back and you read the book of Acts and, and note the great persecution, the intense persecution that the early church faced over and over again. And Luke talks about the persecution that was inflicted upon the church. Do you remember what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus before his conversion? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting thou me? Acts 9.4. The Bible tells us that Saul had made havoc of the church. He was a church wrecker if you will. He was trying to destroy the church. But what about the church today? Is it not the case that Christians, the church, 
because Christians are the church? Is it not the case that the church or Christians today have become to some extent public enemy number one in this country? They were just talking about not too long ago on the news how the FBI might be coming after us as Christians. That's sad that we have gotten to this point in time again because we're repeating history where we are going to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. I think about the persecution that the world inflicts on the body and I think about the persecution that is being directed toward the body. Isn't it ironic to, to you and me that the very principles that made this country what it is today is under persecution? If you don't think the church, the body of Christ is under attack, if you don't think the Bible is under attack, then stand up in public and tell people that marriage is between a man and a woman only. They'll flog you. They won't even have time to find the rotten tomatoes to throw at you. They'll throw rocks. If you don't think that the Bible is under attack, just do that. See what kind of fire you get. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's what the Bible says. And I stand by the Bible. Somebody will say, Well, that's narrow-minded. That's old-fashioned. That's archaic. And yes, that's true. It is old-fashioned. It is narrow-minded. It is archaic. But it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. Here's the question. Do you want to be politically correct or biblically correct? I want to be biblically correct. I will stand with what the Bible says, but we will be persecuted for it. If you don't think that the church is under attack and the Bible is under attack, then stand up and tell people that Jesus is the only way for salvation of your souls. And that you have to have faith and believe that he is the son of God. Repentance of your sins. Confession that he is the son of God. And being baptized for the remission of your sins. They will flog you. They will throw rocks at you. And they will hate you. Well, that's okay. I have a friend with Jesus. All right? Let him do it. It's only in the Lord. Here's what Luke said. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Oh, you tell me that a Buddhist is not saved? You mean to tell me that followers of Muhammad are not saved without Jesus? Well, that's what Luke said. Written over 2,000 years ago. Listen to what Jesus said. I... He's speaking, I in the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Muhammad didn't say that. None of those pagan gods said that. Jesus said that. Somebody said, well, that's awfully narrow-minded. And it is, but it's biblical. We're talking about what Jesus said in long ago. Look at the Pharisees. They were the great antagonists of Jesus. Unbelievable. Their way of thinking, their way of doing business conflicted with what Jesus had to say. And what did they do? Well, they persecuted him. As a child of God, when we stand up for what is right, we're going to face tough times. Why? Because that's the way of the world. 
The encouraging part is that the Lord will be with us. He will stand with us. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, he said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Somebody said at one time, if you're not being persecuted, maybe we're not living godly lives in Christ Jesus. Might be right. You see, the very way that we live our lifestyle, what we think, what we say, how we dress, how we act, the way we do business on a daily basis, it says one thing. We belong to the Lord. Or at least it should say that. And if we haven't, we need to correct that, right? The Lord's saying if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Get ready. Jesus will be your faithful friend. He will stand with you through thick and thin, come what may. When Paul came to the close of his life here on planet Earth, he had a friend in Jesus. And that's why he could talk about the crown of righteousness awaited him. I want to ask you this question this morning. Is Jesus your friend? If not, why not? He has given us everything possible, uh, the way for us to become his friend. He wants to be our faithful friend as well. And so if you're in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the three facts that make up the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he's given that through his word, 1 Corinthians 4, 15, 1 through 4. And he tells us that we need to have faith in believing that he's the son of God, that he came to this earth to live and to die for you personally. He came for me. He came for you. And that with that knowledge, based upon your faith and believing that, are you willing to make a change in your life? No longer living of the world by the world's dictates, by the world's mold, but living for Jesus and doing His will and abiding by His to be His friend. Are you willing to make that good confession that I believe that Jesus is my friend and that he's the son of God too? Go down into the waters of baptism that have those sins washed away, immersed in a watery grave, in contact with the blood of Jesus, sins washed away. I hope that you'll make that decision. This You might be here already a child of God. You've done those things. But the world has crept back into your life and you began doing the things of the world. Maybe you just need the prayers of the church, whatever it might be. We hope that you'll come back and be in that right relationship with the Lord. We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 207. Go ahead and open your songbooks to 207. But along the ways during the singing of that song, if you realize that you need to make a change in your life, we hope that you'll let us. Let it be known as you can do so.